You hear me talking, hillbilly boy? I ain't through with you by damn sight. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. <laughs> well, here we are. Hello. And welcome to Modern Medieval, the podcast. I'm Ello. And I'm Megan. And so, Ello, do you know that getting medieval on your ass became like a thing following Quentin Tarantino's film Pulp Fiction? Well, I do. I do. Thanks to the class that we took at UCL, uh, taught by Bob Mills. But uh, before wow. that, I didn't really realize. Yeah. So before we kind of dive into that more scholastic element and the controversy around getting medieval, did you know that it has its own urban dictionary page? Really? Yeah. So it's called Get Medieval. And I'm going to share some of the definitions because I think that they are quite uh, quite a treat. So the first one is to physically torture or injure someone by means of archaic methods, usually involving tools frequently used for blacksmithing or traditional feudal era torture. Examples of such include thumb screws, flesh peeling, flaying, and branding. So this is a very barbaric medieval uh, <laughs> definition. The second uh, definition follows in the same vein, but it starts off exactly what the damn title says. This means to go Spanish Inquisition on someone's ass, oh <laughs> which as we know, that's an anachronism because it's quite a bit later. <laughs> so great context for this show. Um, and it continues, thumbscrews, hooks, hot irons, needles, and anything else that reminds you of saw or hostel. Just picture Hellraiser and your Mr. Pinhead. The person you go medieval on is your own poor Frank Cotton. But my, my favorite, uh, these are the final two, <laughs> forget medieval. <laughs> In short, getting medieval means to be getting ridiculously drunk. And then here we go. This is my absolute favorite on what get medieval means. And it's so much different than what we just heard in Quentin Tarantino's film. Also used when you are invited to a birthday party at medieval times and your team wins. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh dear audience, that's get medieval for you. We're going to get modern medieval. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, I hope the audience, I mean, that you guys have seen um, Pulp Fiction, if you're like, we got to the idea that everyone has, but maybe not everyone has. When we were in the class, I don't remember. Did everyone see it? Um, I think it was pretty widespread, but I can't recall yeah. if everyone had seen it. Um, I rewatched it before Same. the class started for Actually, context. I did too. And I'd forgotten that that was a quote. Like, I didn't really remember that that was really something yeah. that was said. No, same. And as you can hear in the clip, it's very kind of buried in other exposition. In violence. And, yeah, and colorful language. So it, and the movie's long. It's at least two hours. Oh my so God, it is. The fact, and this is quite a bit later in. So the fact yeah. that that small fragment was pulled out um as one of the kind of key moments is really interesting especially yeah. when you have the long exposition scene at the beginning with uh with the burger and everything uh and then you have this get medieval on your ass <laughs> <laughs> um i think so. 
of the film, the, thing, the scene that I remember the most is when Emma Thompson and uh, John Travolta dance. I think that is the iconic scene in my mind. Yeah, it's Uma Thurman. Emma Thurman, whoops. Yeah, so... Uh, Emma Thurman. Still blonde, still gorgeous, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> very blonde. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is, I, I agree, probably one of the most iconic scenes in the film. Yeah, when they're doing the twist-off at the 50s diner. Um, yeah. Yeah, that film kind of has become this really interesting pop culture icon in a way. I have a lot of friends who say that's their all-time favorite film, or if not all-time favorite, top five, top three. Yeah, I do too. It's impressive. It's impressive. I am not the biggest fan of it when I watched it for our course at UCL with the Blessed Bob. Um... Bob. <laughs> Bob. Um, Bob. Yeah. Sorry for embarrassing you. True colors coming out. <laughs> but that was only the second time that I had seen it. And I recall the first time I watched it, oh, goodness, four or five years ago, because I was a bit late coming to it. I actually couldn't watch it all the way through in one sitting. I kind of watched it in vignettes, which is nice as it's laid out in these interconnected vignettes. Um, but yeah, it just, it never has really spoken to me. Like I appreciate what's being read into it, but I also feel like it's too much seeing the Jesus figures of Uma Thurman after the cocaine overdose with like blood dripping down her face. I just, I personally don't relate to that, but I'm not yucking someone else's yum. So... Any other? Yeah, I I agree. I I just don't I just don't relate with pop fiction. Yeah, I love a lot of other Tarantino films. I think Reservoir Dogs is my favorite. Yeah, I, I know this is controversial, but I'm not a huge Tarantino fan. I think that he's cool, but I just don't know. It's not my kind of film. Um, very fair. Very fair. Um, yeah, I think I think I watched. I must have watched Pulp Fiction once when I was like 15 and then I rewatched it for the course. And I think I had a very similar reaction. I was like, mm, mm. this isn't, this is a bit boring. There's just a lot of people, you know, it's like, it, it, it kind of mimics a way of life that people dream of having, but like in actual reality, do you really want to have that lifestyle? And is it really that interesting to see two hours of people swearing and killing and, Although I do remember thinking that the burgers they ate looked really good. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's, yeah, it's such an interesting film. And I remember that I, for Bob's class, I watched the movie before reading the article. And I was very confused on what I was supposed to be looking for. And I actually can't recall if I picked up on that little line. Or if I heard it and thought, is this... Is this it? Um, I don't know if you read the article prior or the movie first. I actually can't remember. Maybe I read the... I must have done... I don't remember, actually. But I think... I remember thinking after I'd read the article and reflecting on the film Mm -hmm. that, like... 
I wasn't sure. There, there was such an emphasis on this just small, on this one small quote. Right. That I didn't really, I hadn't really thought of it that way, which is actually why the course we took was really interesting because it let you think about things that are perhaps, you know, buried or forgotten in a different light. Right. So for our audience that's listening, the article that we're referring to is by Carolyn Dinshaw. It's titled Coda, Getting Medieval, Pulp Fiction, Foucault, and the Use of the Past in Dinshaw's Getting Medieval, Sexualities and Communities, Pre- and Postmodern. So it's at the end of the book. And we read this alongside Umberto Eco's Dreaming of the Middle Ages and Living in the New Middle Ages, which are really important chapters of Umberto Eco's Faith and Fakes book, not only for our course with Bob, but also for this podcast. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Elo, and like what those briefly kind of suggested or pointed to in regard to the medieval and today? if you remember. <laughs> <laughs> now, admittedly, this was the first class of the year. Um, but I think the aim was to kind of in, be introduced to the general thread of um, our class and to think about how the medieval in one form or another is present in our daily life and we may not even realize it. And that we have, even if, None of us have studied the medieval ages or um, even if we're not art fans or um, medieval books, uh, avid readers, um, that the medieval is really present and that we have, um, I would say, prejudices on what that might, what the medieval might be. And we have preconceptions of what it looked like, what the people were like, um, what life would was like and part of it is uh pop culture so lots of the films that we've watched in our childhood represent the medieval in certain ways um the the quote the quote that we've just the clip that we've just let you listen to um getting medieval on your ass it has itself some preconceptions of what the medieval is and what it was and also the kind of barbaric um, side of the Middle Ages, which we all know about, but never really problematize because we don't really think about it that much. And so that was the, if I remember correctly, um, one of the things that we discussed. And then throughout our course, and which is why we kind of decided to do this, we really unraveled that. We kind of looked at things that we thought we knew, and then we looked at them again, and then realized that actually we have been um, kind of made to think that way. Um, and actually the, mid- the, middle, the Middle Ages aren't that way and the medie- medieval culture wasn't that way. And so that in itself is the point of this podcast as well. Right, yeah. Um, going off that, um, Echo, I can't, it was in his 10 Little Medievalisms, but he lays out, as it says, 10 different types of the medieval, which include the barbaric, so torture, blood, viscera, screaming, all those wonderful, wonderful, horrific things that we associate with the medieval Black Plague, which we'll talk about more in our very first official episode. But then there's also this chivalric, nostalgic medieval, 
maidens and castles, knights, flowing gowns that the medieval times it referred to and the get medieval kind of builds upon King Arthur and all of that. But Echo also talks about medieval isms, which we'll discuss further, but these are contemporary reimaginings of the medieval. So perhaps one of the most notable and familiar to audiences is how Star Wars is a sort of space opera future feudal medieval in the way that they dress. The Jedi are sort of these monks that are good. And then there's the darkness and Darth Vader and kind of demonic. It's more complex than that, but that is in fact a medieval reimagining. And because of all of this, Echo argues that we're actually still in the medieval ages. And what does that mean? So yeah, we're here to break apart this notion of the dark ages, uh, yeah. which I recall growing up. And that was what I knew what it was first yeah. was this very dead era. And actually, contrary to that, it's a very rich time. People were quite intelligent and intuitive, and there was a lot going on. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you think about the fact that the first university was created during the Middle Ages um, in, 80, in 1089, I think, 1089, the University of Bologna, I think that's the first university. Let me, let me check. Yeah, I'll take your, your word. I think it's in 89. Um, yeah, and other famous institutions like Oxford and Cambridge. I believe University of Edinburgh is a bit more in the center, the high Middle Ages to late Middle Ages. But yeah, these institutions that are not only part of that medieval collegiate style, but also authentically that at their, their core. And yeah, it's quite fascinating. And so. We don't want to ramble too much, but maybe we should also kind of share why we are here, like you and me, not just because of Bob, but our relationship to the yes. medieval. So just for context, we're not actually physically together. Right. <laughs> this is a pandemic time. <laughs> we're in two different countries and doing this via Zoom. So we apologize if the quality isn't perfect <laughs> um but the idea came to us when obviously the pandemic hit and all the newspapers started uh propagating this very like apocalyptic um rhetoric and we were just like hold on a second this is exactly what we've been studying and this is exactly what maybe we should be thinking about is this is yet another example of how um, the medieval still pervades our present. Yeah, um, how prolific the rhetoric of the medieval is, in fact. Yeah, yeah. And so actually we decided to, to do this based on, on you know, the current events because obviously this affects everyone in different ways. And I feel like any, any, anyone can say that they've been affected by COVID in one way or another. And so that was really what started this um and that's really what we want to do kind of like let you into what we studied this year and let you see it for yourselves in a way right and also just to share our kind of fledgling passion as up-and-coming medievalists thanks to <laughs> professor robert mills aka bob's class um i went into 
our modern medieval revival reception course, having never studied the medieval, I shamedly kind of shied away from studying it in my English literature courses, didn't really take it that seriously. Chaucer's great, but can be hard to read. Beowulf, I really just sparked a stick, because shame on me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I mean, all my other engagements with the medieval were in regard to pop culture, to film, to television. I went to medieval times when I was in sixth grade when we studied really? Arthurian legends. Yeah, we, it was <laughs> so much fun. It was, I had a blast, but I was also, what, 12? So, you know, entertainment for the masses. But throughout Bob's class, I really, you, not, you start to pick up on certain things. So for me, I'm really interested in the way that certain ideas and modalities from the medieval carry on. The architecture is great, Pugin and Ruskin, and that notion of the Gothic revival. I think the architecture is beautiful. William Morris's uh, flower illustrations and tapestries are great, but I'm really interested in kind of more the iconographic elements. And even though my master's dissertation is not with Bob for our UCL degree, I am currently looking at medieval practices and hagiography or the writing of saints' lives and its comparison to the Gothic, hopefully for my PhD. So I have found myself kind of turning more and more to this. Um, so that's kind of a brief background of my personal interest in the medieval. Ello, yeah. do you want to, to share? Um, I did an undergraduate um, in modern languages and I, same as you, just kind of stayed away. And for anyone who knows me, my Dante paper was a source of great pain, which I complained about a day on a daily basis. I think <laughs> people were sick of me by the end of it. And so it was always something I kind of shied away from and thought of as, I'm sorry to say this, very boring. Um, but I took the course as a means to challenge myself. And I'm really glad I did because it turned out to be the course that I enjoyed the most in my master's course um and I'm actually very funnily um doing my master's dissertation on a medieval topic um I'm looking at Dante's Divine Comedy specifically Paradise and the representations of the godly and um the kind of structure of the of the of the book um in terms of how it's represented and the difficulties in representing it, um, which I think to anyone who's known me in my undergrad can kind of know that that's really very funny that I've ended up doing so many things in regards to that. Um, but what I found particularly interesting and what I think is worth examining is um, looking at ways in which, for example, um, the medieval, the preconceived ideas that we have of the middle ages and the things that get omitted from that discourse mm -hmm. so um having or well, being italian and being born in palermo in sicily i'm particularly interested in ways in which um the middle ages are actually quite a complicated time and actually a time where peace actually prevailed sometimes and that actually never gets talked about and so i look at like i did a focus on one of my essays on um the Capella Palatina in Palermo and the different cultures living in Palermo in in 
the Middle Ages and 13th, 14th century. So that's really what interests me. Yeah. Um, and that touches upon future themes and, again, these myths around the medieval, such as an all-white Middle Ages, which is just 100% false. We think of these really umbrella terms, again, of God and religion being the end-all, be-all, which there is a slight echo of truth in that, but it's not so clean-cut, that they were dirty, that they were ignorant, not so true, that the Crusades were, I mean, they were a huge event, but not this, again, end-all, be-all. And again, touching what you're saying, like, it was p- quite peaceful. There was a lot going on. If I recall, because I h- helped uh, proofread some of your elements of that <laughs> essay. <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> Palermo was, like, Christian slash Catholic. It has Arab influences. And is it Jewish, the other parts? Or it is Greek. Greek. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot in this beautiful, yeah. beautiful chapel that's going on. So it's not just a lot of Christians were actually murdered during this time. Uh, yeah. early, the early, early Middle Ages, the end yeah. of the classical era into the beginning of the Middle Ages. And yet we assume that it's just yeah. monks and nuns and friars and all of this yeah. for the and entire think, time. Yeah. And I think especially if to anyone who's been to Italy, like and if you've been to the north of Italy, which obviously is classically what everyone likes to go and see, I don't know why everyone's obsessed with Milan. I mean, I know now it's a bit, a bit of a bad time to bash on Milan because, you know, it's not been an easy <laughs> time for them. But like you go to Venice, you go to Rome and already the architecture changes. But then you go to the if you go to the south of Italy, like Sicily, Puglia, um, the architecture is so different and you kind of have this preconception of like the south of Italy, poor, or, um, corrupt and all of that. And the architecture is so different. So you kind of have this very different feel. And then you realize actually the reason it's so different is because it's got a completely different history. And mm-hmm. if you understand its medieval history, you might understand the culture, the, the region's culture a bit better. And so I don't know, I find that really interesting. And I think you know, if we knew a bit more about this in the general population, maybe we would think about things in a different way as well. Yeah, so I completely agree. And I'm excited to go on this journey with both you, Elo, and our audience, our dear listeners, who are going to, we're going to get medieval on your ass. Um, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> So we are currently in the process of developing some social media for you all to find us, but because we're just starting off, there's not much there. We do have an Instagram that you could follow us at, which is modern.medieval.podcast. That's also, you could contact us via email if you want to have us discuss something, if we need to fact check anything. And that is modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. We are also going to be creating a Twitter feed for you to be able to find us. And any other, oh, a Facebook page just to kind of be there, even though potentially obsolete. Um, yeah. Any other final notes or thoughts? Um. Maybe it's worth saying that as master's students, we may not have everything um, right. And 
we're going to do our research, but there may be some inconsistencies sometimes. So feel free to point them out. Yes, yes. Uh, we are fledgling medievalists. This is still kind of new yeah. territory for us. And we did so much reading this year for our course across such a diverse field that it was a bit of an inundation of material. So again, yeah. yes, we apologize if we are a bit too broad or if we just completely get dates wrong. But yes, please feel free <laughs> to correct us in a kind and gentle way. Please don't uh, shame us yeah. too harshly. <laughs> um, By the way, the University of Bologna was created, was created in, 80, in 1088. Okay, so you were one year off. You were close. Yeah. You, were, you were good. I give it to you. I give it to you. So, yeah. Um, until next time, I'm Megan. And I'm Ella. And this is Modern Medieval, the podcast. Whoop, whoop. Bye, Ow. guys. Do, do, do.